some of the films themselves, such as this one here. Uh, the it's called uh, oh I don't have it up never mind so anyway uh, so one of uh, many of his films were science fiction based and they were some of the first effects based narrative so he had many illusions um, and way ahead of George Lucas is what I'm saying um, all of this is to say that on Thursday the 15th that's tomorrow night scene at Pacific Cinematheque will be uh, their fifth annual fundraising gala extravaganza and the theme is George Millier as um, and 40 years of cinema so uh, this is going to be a really fun party there's going to be illusionists uh, shadow puppeteers even a live model who will turn into a strolling candy buffet and uh, what I talked with Amber Orchard uh, about yesterday was why they chose this um, wonderful filmmaker and uh, what it kind of represented in terms of Pacific Cinematheque. So here's a few minutes from Amber Orchard speaking about Pacific Cinematheque's 40 Years, uh, The Scene Party, and George Millier. with his name or image if you saw the film Hugo in that George Melies is the filmmaker that um, is working in the toy shop in the station who gets rediscovered and his works rediscovered and so I think for people George Melies is fairly top of mind um, in the sense they, they do identify with him the film was hugely successful for Scorsese um, and for us Melies is a pioneer filmmaker I mean he was a uh, Primarily, he started as a magician or an illusionist, and then he became fascinated with um, film and, and, and the illusion on film. And so he was almost like the first sci-fi fantasy filmmaker. So he was playing with illusion and filmmaking and the how to get people to bend their you know, disbelief. He had a really neat way of showing things on film. So he's got all these sort of shorts that we'll be projecting um, at the event. Also for us, probably the most cl the closest time, besides being um, you know an original filmmaker, um, he was friends with Henri Langlois, who is one of the co-founders of Cinematheque in Paris, and they became quite friendly um, very late on in Melies's life. And in fact, at one point, uh, Melies was seen as the honorary gatekeeper or key holder to the Cinematheque. And so, of course, being a Cinematheque ourselves, um, you know, that sort of goes back to the roots of the idea of archiving film and preserving film and, and making little-known film available to people uh, in Vancouver. Now, how accurate is the experience that was portrayed in Hugo, having seen that but mm -hmm. not having seen any Melies films? Yeah, well, the shorts that you see in there... Um, they are re, they're remakes of the actual film. So, you know, the woman sort of floating up and she's got like a star around her head. That is an original film. The moon of him with a moon face and the rocket coming to him. I mean, that's an iconic image. And yes, that absolutely, those are his films. And in fact, he did become um, a, a salesman of toys and candy in a station. That's what happened to him when he sort of dropped off of the filmmaking front as, as technology changed and whatnot. Um, and he did somewhat did get rediscovered later on by young directors and filmmakers in France. 
So yeah, obviously there is a lot of fiction to it, but the, the story is very true. Being able to access uh, film legally or otherwise mm-hmm. online has kind of affected the landscape of uh, cinemas. But at the same time, it seems that interest in old film can resurge because of being able to track down these artists in new ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think so. I mean, even recently, I think they've just come across a new Melies short. Um, so, yeah, I think what it's done is in some ways it has made film more accessible to people. Um, you know, you can go on to YouTube, you can see all sorts of Melies shorts that you may not have been able to have access to previously. You know, the quality of that presentation you know, compared to if you came to the Cinematheque and you saw it, and perhaps we have a guest speaker that mm-hmm. day, or the education department is hosting something. So, you know, our the screenings that we do here are, are about value added, and mm-hmm. and so when you do see something in the program, you're seeing it because there is a curatorial reason for it. I mean, even reading the curatorial notes in the program guide will give you that much more of an edge than sitting down and clicking on an image that you see or a video in YouTube or something you've come across on the internet. So. Absolutely. The internet has has a time. Gosh, we use it every day, all day. I couldn't imagine my life without it. Um, That said, I I still feel that your best experience, the best presentation you're going to see is going to be seen. It's going to be seen live with an audience. (laughs) Well, thank you very much to Amber for joining us. And as we were listening to that interview, we were actually watching A Trip to the Moon or Le Voyage dans la Lune uh, from 1902 where uh, a black and white silent science fiction film kind of loosely based on um, Jules Verne and and H.G. Wells stories and uh, you actually may have seen references to this in cartoons um, where the the uh, bullet-shaped rocket hits the, the moon in the face and I've posted this on our Facebook page so you can check it out and um it is uh, very delightful, probably more delightful delightful than Hugo itself. Since I've interviewed Amber, I've actually watched some of the films, and they're really lovely. Um, so you can, uh, there are limited tickets available to the fundraiser, but they um, are on sale at uh, thecinematech.ca. You can look up more information at thecinematech.ca slash fifth annual scene. And it is a fundraiser. So you uh, tickets are uh, a bit pricey, but you do get a, a pretty generous tax receipt. And uh, we also talked a little bit about with the Empire Granville closing and the, the kind of swath of cinemas closing, um, what was different about Pacific Cinematech. And they are a not-for-profit. They get funding from BC Arts Council and the the Council for the Arts in the City of Vancouver, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But more so, you know, it is a service to the community beyond simply entertainment. Um, right now, they're actually completing a study into expanding that educational aspect into teaching people about media critique. And uh, one of the other fun things that is coming up for them is a uh, Japanese anime festival. And... Um, Behind the scenes, Amanda was just talking a little bit about some of the uh, some of the plays that some of the films rather that she likes uh, during the uh, Castles in the Sky. Yeah, it's a it's Studio Ghibli mm-hmm. Festival. Mm-hmm. So they did ones that people know a lot are Castle in the Sky, mm-hmm. uh, Princess Mononoke. You were mentioning is it 
Porco, Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso. Mm -hmm. um, but my favorite of all of the Studio Ghibli ones that not very many people see is uh, Naushika of the Valley of the Wind. And what's that about? Uh, it's about a princess and, and environmental degradation and saving the planet. Awesome. Circa 1984. Good. So uh, the other one uh, I know that I recognized was Spirited Away as yeah. well that's the same the same so so that's running um uh starting december 7th and running through till january 3rd in uh so you can check that out at the pacific cinema tech if you don't get to get to the very um galatastic event tomorrow night which is as usual a fundraiser and their 40th birthday party and uh I just wanted to uh, let you know that if you um, are interested in seeing Coast Modern, now Coast Modern we covered on uh, July 4th, 2012. So you can go back and check out James Bates interviewing the director. But uh, they will be doing a, a screening at UBC from the uh, Art History Student Association. And uh, it's their first of a series, Film Nights 101. And they're starting with the screening of this movie on West Coast Modern Architecture. They will also uh, be having uh, the co-director with them and uh that's um, Vancouver it's Mark Bernard and Gavin Broom and we talked to Mike Bernard and uh, they will be able to uh, answer some questions after the film uh, it is launching the 2012 uh 2013 AHSA year and uh hopefully it'll be a cool little film series uh, about various types of the history of art so that is next Tuesday, uh, the 20th, uh, in the Norm Theater in the Student Union Building at 6 p.m. So please come on down. And as far as I understand it, it is free and open uh, to the public. Now we are uh, going to take a quick break, but um, I also wanted to let you know that we will be giving away tickets to the next UBC theater event so stay tuned after the break for a little bit of information on that and as always our number here is 604-822-2487 stay tuned come to Kansing West on Saturday November 17th from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the W2 space at 111 West Hastings Street. Presented by Broken Pencil Magazine, $5 at the door gets you a prison issue of Broken Pencil and access to a variety of underground zines, comics, and micro press books for sale. We've got a panel of activists, writers, and artists discussing the relationship between controversy and art, and you won't want to miss our Real Vancouver Writers series either. Plus, we're bringing back the one-two punch book pitch, where our judges will tell you what they really think about your book idea in front of a live audience. For the complete festival lineup and to buy advanced tickets, visit www.brokenpencil.com slash canzine hyphen Vancouver or look us up on Facebook. Sponsored by Discord Magazine. That magazine from CITR 101.9. Check out Discorder on air Tuesdays, 4.30 p.m.
CITR is celebrating the 75th anniversary of UBC Radio Excellence, 30 years on the FM dial, and 30 years of Discorder Magazine. Your one and only CITR 101.9 FM is inviting all CITR alumni and friends to our alumni weekend this November 16th and 17th. On the 16th, we'll be kicking it live on location at Perch on 337 Hastings around 5 p.m. for some beers, cheers, and cooling with peers. The 17th, come to Thea's Lounge with some Give Us Your Love brunch at 11 a.m. Find out more about what's going down at the station and the progress we have made over the years. Shortly after, join us for tours of our beloved station and learn about our space in the new sub. Come to our birthday party on Saturday evening at Chapel Arts with CITR alumni Lisa Marr and Culture Shock performing, as well as Gang Signs, Fine Mist, Carolyn Mark, and Channels 3 and 4. Reminisce about the good old days bumping the shows of the past as we have dedicated this special weekend to hearing our alumni on the airwaves. So come and cool out with us on the freaking weekend and have you some fun. But don't forget to register for events. Visit CITR.ca for more details. And what you're hearing is the surprising music of the website for Dancing at Lug NASA, which we are giving away a pair of tickets for. Now, it is by Brian Frail and directed by uh, UBC alumni John Cooper. Uh, he is an award-winning director. And uh, the graduating year of actors and designers will be featured. Um, and after, you know, they did a really great job with uh, The Duchess, a.k.a. Wallace Simpson, Nicole Kai did a, a review uh, about a month ago on that, and so they are coming back again. The opening is tomorrow night, Thursday, November 15th at 7.30, and they will be around for three weeks. Uh, the second time uh, is a, a new longer run and a shorter week, so from Wednesday to Saturday. And uh, the story uh, looks pretty pretty interesting um it is uh there's a lot of legs involved in the <laughs> website so i'm already fully happy uh it is set in county donegal in 1936 and is a semi-autobiographical story of playwright brian Friel's childhood when his aunts the five mundy sisters all lived under the same roof Friel appears in the character of five-year-old love child michael and is making his origins a terrific scandal for the period. And uh, it won the Olivier Award in 91 and the Tony Award in 92. And so it looks like something that these guys will have a lot of fun with. Uh, John Cooper is a three-time Jesse Award winner for Outstanding Direction. So you know that you are going to get something good. Um, Dancing at Lugnasa, as I mentioned, starts tomorrow. If you would like to have tickets, please give me a call at 604-822-2487 or shoot me an email at arts at citr.ca. And next week, we will uh, be participating in the 12 Hours at student of Student Power. And we will be talking about... Um, uh, leftist erotica um which is a book by uh patrick sampler we'll be having him in studio we'll talk about his book and the buto reading that will be happening on saturday uh november 24th and we will also be having nicole kai doing a review of dancing at luke nasa so please join us next week and uh 
we have up next uh, the East Side Culture Crawl. I spoke to uh, Riley, who is a.k.a. Jerk with a camera, and I joined him at the loft on 25 Gore Street for coffee. The loft, which you can find on Foursquare and Instagram, is he and his wife Miranda's live and workspace, um, which is both their personal projects and their photography business. Fun fact, they used to live above the old spaghetti factory, which is a tourist hub, and every day Riley had to leave by the back alley if he didn't want to be accosted by tourists. Now, Jerk with the Camera is a musical reference to Jerk with a Bomb, or, which is a different iteration of Black Mountain. And you can find all the information about that little story on jerkwithacamera.com, his blog. Riley works well 50-50 with digital and film, and, and we did talk a lot about camera tricks. Um, so sorry to all the photography buffs, that didn't make it in today. But tune into our Facebook, and uh, when I post a long version, uh, then you will be the first to know. Riley has been here about seven years and is still fascinated by the city. He's interested both in everyday objects, or what used to be everyday objects, and capturing what they are, their unique capabilities, rather than, you know, fetishizing them, but rather looking specifically at what they do as media. He also likes to do his photo wanderings, where he captures the city, uh, especially the downtown east side and east van. So we are uh, going to hear a little bit about why he likes to uh, photograph East Fan and uh, the Gastown area that he lives in. And accompanying the piece will be uh, a track gray from his band My Friend Lisa, which will be playing at the East Side Cultural Crawl. The East Side Culture Crawl uh, is from November 16th to 18th, uh, and our Radioversary event is part of the fun, so please check them out at eastsideculturecrawl.com for all the artists and artisans. Uh, it's a great uh, chance to do a little Christmas shopping. All right, uh, we will be answering some calls while we listen to Riley or Jerk with the Camera talk about the Eastside Culture Crawl and photographing East Van. Sorry about that, folks. We're just having a bit of uh, technical difficulty, and we... Oh, here we go. Thank you so much. You know, the downtown east side east van. Can you tell me a little bit about why this area speaks to you and those kind of landscapes speak to you? Uh, because it's not polished. Mm -hmm. Our area is definitely not polished. And, and, I mean, I wander a lot of alleys, and I spend more time in alleys than I probably should humanly do so. <laughs> Um, so, but, uh, and then for me, there's, there's two different parts when it comes to like my photo wandering as, as I put it is, is there's the, the actual, and I call it picking on people. So the actual, <laughs> where, where I'm actually looking at people in an environment 
and then there's the lack of people. So I kind of have these two distinct veins where there's, there, there's people in it, and then it focuses on the people or how they're interacting with the world around them. And then there's the whole, there's no people whatsoever. They're, you know, it's, it's, it's focusing entirely on, on, on the actual area and the actual objects and things in the area. But I love, I love Gritty, but I also love that, that with Gritty comes a certain character. So, I mean, the fact that you're in this alley and this building has been boarded up three or four times over the last 20 years and you can see the old underneath the new, underneath the new, underneath the graffiti. I find that more intriguing because it's an organically grown urban structure. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something that was created. It was not something that was contrived in a boardroom or you know in an architect studio or anything like that. It's something that has grown based on people's interactions with it. So while there's no people in it, you can almost actually discern, you can almost see the people mm -hmm. in the object. So it's almost like a legacy, you know, how people want to want to create their own legacies and things like that. So this is how I want to be remembered for how I imprinted myself upon the world. Um, these are like an unconscious legacy that, that us as a society is making. And, and it's whether it's good or bad or, or ugly or nice, it's all a matter of perspective. But I find that really extremely interesting that you can, you know, see... If you look beyond the, the facades, you can see the, the thing organically being made by people through the choices of, you know, what paint they painted over the graffiti with. Little things like that will make kind of an organically grown urban structure. Let's talk a little bit about the Eastside Culture Crawl. Um, have you participated before? Uh, yes, last year was our first year to per participate. And it was, uh, it was amazing. We had, well, as near as we can figure by comparing notes with our, our culture crawl neighbors and, and looking at our time-lapse footage and things like that, we had probably about 1,400 people come through the space wow. over, over the three days, which was amazing. I, I expected, you know, 50 people to come wandering or through and things like that. But, you know, we had a lot of people come through. It was interesting just because I, I kind of exist a little bit on the Internet, which can be devoid of, of any sort of thoughtful criticisms, critiques, or even people giving ideas mm -hmm. about the work and things like that. So it was really interesting to actually like hear, even if it was kind of eavesdropping over people as they were walking up and saying, oh, I like this, I don't like that, and, and stuff like that. So that was kind of fun. It was interesting that way. And it was actually interesting in a sense because it, it made us curate our work in a way that we hadn't had a catalyst to do before. Mm -hmm. So um, we have all of these things, but then to turn around and curate them into your own show, essentially, mm -hmm. so that you're kind of showing off to the people around you and things like that made you kind of look at your work in a, in a different way that I wasn't, you know, used to. And, and it was kind of neat to be able to think about, okay, now if I did something a little bit more along this line, next time I'm on a photo walk, it would fit in well with this as in a giant theme sort of thing. Because so, you're setting the agenda. Exactly, yeah. Fitting into someone else's. Well, theme. that, and um, I haven't really done a lot of shows or anything just because it's it's been kind of... Um, the, my gallery is the internet, so mm -hmm. to speak, right? So it's, it's sort of I put things on the internet and on my blog and whatnot, and then, uh, and that's this really where everything has kind of ended. I've never actually thought about doing a lot of physical work that was, um, wasn't then going to be just a picture taken and put on the internet, so. So this is the second year you're doing it. Um, what kind of lessons have you learned, and um, what are you going to do differently or, you know, try to recapture this year? I'm going to focus a little bit more on individual pieces of work. So some of the things that I was doing last year is I was doing a lot of just kind of photography displayed on a wall. A lot of times people look at the photograph, oh, that's nice, and they move on. They give it whatever it is, six seconds at most kind of thing of, of visual, like, oh, yeah, that's pretty, that's, that's nice, or I don't like that, and they walk on. Um, so what we've done is I've taken 
photographs and, and mounted them onto, onto substrates and things like that, but then cut those substrates up using a variety of different methods. So uh, my favorite is wood and a table saw. So I actually put a photograph on, onto a wood, adhere it, you know, like uh, press it down, get it, get it stuck on there really good with the hot press and everything like that, and then I run it through a table saw and then disassemble the photograph and then reassemble it in a certain way because then basically what that makes you do is to even understand what's happening in the photograph, you have to stop, you have to look at it, you have to take that in for, you know, at least, you know, 30 seconds, which is more than double our six seconds that we had before, right? <laughs> so it actually makes people stop and look at a photograph, and they look at it in a way that maybe they hadn't necessarily looked at it before. So last year I did a mix, so I did a mix of, of these cut-up photographs and things that way, and I did regular pho photography work. And um, sitting and watching it was really interesting because it would bottleneck around any of the photographs that were cut up because people were actually stopping and looking at them. They were engaged. They were engaged, exactly. And then, um, and then they would kind of breeze through all of the other work and then that's like the same amount of time that it took them to look at this one photograph. They breeze through the, just the regular photography in that same sort of time. So it was, it was interesting to me. So I'm, kinda, I'm going to experiment a little bit more with that and a little less with um, just straight up photography. Mm -hmm. Here's the photo for the photo's sake. So. And I think, I think the idea of the access to the arts is... Even though it, I'm sure it becomes annoying for people who really have invested a lot of time, but you know, overall, in general, access to the arts is good. I think it's good if more people consider themselves I, artists. I concur, and, and that's, that's the flip side to the, the photo thing. I think the fact that, that digital cameras are so prevalent in this, in this world and mm -hmm. this society is amazing. I think the fact that anybody can then turn around and pick it up as a hobby and everything like that, I just don't like how the term photographer has been co-opted. Has it kind of forced another level of creativity because as you said as a photo artist what do I have to add to this to really have it as a standout piece and, and it's kind of interesting because I'm I mean talking earlier about how like the internet is my gallery and things like that so there's a lot of tricks and things that you do on the internet to try and make to cut through the noise mm -hmm. right to cut through this online and it, it's kind of funny because we just kind of went there automatically in the physical realm so it's like how do we kind of cut through the noise of photography well, we make people look at it in a different way, in a different light. And, yeah, so that's kind of the one thing we're doing. And I'm also, hopefully, if uh, I get my budding gear and things happen well with the mail system, I'm actually going to have a, a few books as well, so okay. available. So uh, a, kind of a curated um, gathering of, of other work that I would normally have put on the walls mm -hmm. last year, I'm going to try and put into, into a book. So Okay, that's, and that also, I mean, that helps with the actual show. People could take the book. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And then, and then so... While they might have only spent the six seconds looking at that one photo when they breeze by, if they take the book home with them, they have a chance to look at it you know, more in depth or look at it multiple times and, and things that way. So, oh, Well, there's all these videos on, on, the, on the Internet now about like change blindness, right, about mm -hmm. how people can miss completely obvious things um, and things like that. Mm -hmm. I find that that exists even with photography. Is a lot of times you can look at a photo. We used to have a um, – we sold it last year, but we had a really big photo right here, and it was basically of a back alley. But there was a man looking out the window of the back alley. It was one of those beautiful captures that just happened to be the, the moment was right and everything that way. And about half the people would look at it and see it as an alley photo. Mm -hmm. And half the people would look at it and see it as a, as a, a street photography photo where, where, where the subject was the man. Mm -hmm. And then other people would see it and then not see it. And that, that to me was amazing that people could look at something and miss an entirely huge important part of it but see something else. And we are back. And that was Riley talking about his photography and the East Side Culture Crawl. 
uh, jerk with a camera. So you can find he and his uh, wife and business partner, Miranda, at 25 Gore Avenue, right down at the end of Gore Avenue. It's a beautiful little loft space. Um, and you can check out his uh, photography, his multimedia, and his music. Uh, we will have... Um, Jenna Mack at 7 p.m., followed by my friend Lisa and his other band, Politically Awkward. Uh, you can find all the details on jerkwiththecamera.com. And please join the East Side Culture Crawl. Check out some of their various workspaces all around the city, uh, November 16th, 17th, and 18th, Friday from t- 5 to 10, and Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 6. Um, CITR is part of the Culture Call at Chapel Arts. You can check out our Discorder art on the walls while you check out the art that are happening there. And next up, we are going to be talking to Amanda McQuaid and Adam Smiley about Tobias Wong's exhibit, Objecting the Art Design of Tobias Wong's at the Museum of Vancouver. And I thought I'd give you a little taste of uh, Tobias Wong and some of the things that um, the curator and uh, some of the friends and critics had to say about his work. Uh, Tobias Wong... uh, what passed away in 2010 he was a vancouver born designer and artist he actually went to elementary school at mount pleasant elementary where i went to elementary school so we're connected in that way and uh he had as the um title of the exhibition he lived in this area between art and design or perhaps overlapping or perhaps outside of it and we'll talk about that a little bit more um he was educated uh, at emily carr and the university of toronto before moving to new york in 97 um, where he studied at cooper union and you know art architecture design sculpture they all show up in his work as well as a very heavy dose of a sense of humor um here is Tobias Wong. I just thought I'd add a little bit of his voice um, talking, uh, just doing a quick intro for the Glass Lab in 2008. Hi, my name is Tobias Wong. I'm, for, I'm formally trained as a sculptor um, and now currently doing a lot of product design, uh, creative consulting. Um, so it, it's been a wonderful experience actually coming back to the craftier side of creating pieces. Um, and the glass lab has allowed that. So the silver pills that Tobias Wong made were interesting because they look like regular pills, but inside them they had flakes of silver. So when you're looking at them, there was these little flecks of silver that would kind of sparkle and light hit it. And when people asked what they were for, he said, well, they're just a pill. You swallow it and your shit will sparkle. People always thought that was sort of um, cheeky and quite amusing. Um, And people would always question, did it actually work? Um, And he'd always say, you you know, you have to try it to find out. Um, Years later, he made uh, gold ones. And people were really interested in the gold ones because, you know, everything's gold. Gold Gold-plated, gold-coated. Everyone wants gold. And to have your shit sparkle with gold is something sort of quite amazing and uh, it's quite bold. Uh, I think a lot of people thought that it couldn't be done, but he actually made shit sparkle. Uh, 
and that is a little bit of an introduction. We can play a little bit more later in the half hour from a curator uh, of contemporary arts, uh, contemporary issues rather, Vivian Goslin. But for now, we have uh, the cannot be replaced Amanda McQuaid and the cannot be replaced Adam. Smiley, thank you for joining us, guys. Thanks for having me. We're playing a little, uh, one of my favorite albums of the year, uh, Love This Giant, St. Vincent and David Byrne. And I, I was looking through some music that I thought we could play, and I find that this album is is quirky and contemporary and talks actually a lot about of kind of some of the issues that Tobias Wong uh, looks into, pop culture, um, interpersonal like critique and and uh so we'll listen to a little bit of that in the background um but welcome now uh amanda you are part of the creative team at the museum of vancouver that's right and i was hoping you could give us a little insight into the journey to bringing uh one of the first solo exhibitions of tobias wong uh to life right well it was it's been a long process so people who aren't familiar with museology we start our exhibitions about two years out, and it involves everything from meetings with our what we call the creative team, get together, they talk about whether it's a viable type of exhibition, and most importantly, how it fits into the Museum of Vancouver's mission. So there's certain topics that we look at specifically, and one of them, of course, is a Vancouver focus. So when Todd Falkowski, who's the, there's two curators for this exhibition, he's one of the curators, he came to the Museum of Vancouver and basically introduced Tobias Wong to the team and said, hey, this guy's from, from Vancouver, he's amazing, we have to do something about him. Uh, because at that point it had been about a year since he'd passed away and Todd felt that his art wasn't really getting, it was getting overshadowed by the story of his passing and felt that his art really deserved a boost. And so a lot of people have asked, uh, why is the museum doing a c contemporary art exhibition? Shouldn't it be at the bag? Mm -hmm. And yes, it would also fit maybe, at the bag. Maybe it should be at the bag as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, would, it would certainly fit there. Um, but we were really happy to get it because the way that Tobias looks at objects is very similar to the way that museum curators look at objects. So mm -hmm. how, does, how does an everyday object tell a story that's more than just, this is a cup that I drink from. Mm -hmm. what, does, what does that really say about a specific time and place? And that's a lot of what Tobias did with his work. Now, one of the themes when you are looking up information about Tobias Wong is that he, um, besides his uh, obvious taste and sense of humor, is that he is skittering around these categories of uh, art and design. And it's called the art design of Tobias Wong. Mm -hmm. And Adam, you uh, can't, you discovered the, before I did, the, the idea of uh, para-conceptualism. And this is something that you guys talk about on the website as well. Mm -hmm. um, Adam, you had, you had some thoughts on that. Right. So uh, I'm coming from, like, I love art, and I think I can feel art inside myself, but I never really know anything. Uh, I sort of <laughs> come from the other side where, um, you know, when I hear a word like even art or design or uh, paraconceptualism, I really just, in my mind, go, like, what do they mean when they say that? Mm -hmm. So And the categories are, are, are kind of part of how you wrap your mind around it. Right. So, so I mean, for example, what, what's the difference between art and design? 
you talk about the overlap and I'm just like, what? Yeah, so interestingly, that question is one of the things that Tobias was toying with. So is there a difference between art and design? Okay. And uh, so I pulled up the definition of paraconceptual from <laughs> okay. Broken Off, which is his website. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be one of those like floaty <laughs> art terms that uh, may or may infuriate you. <laughs> the, the, the actual definition the is actual not really eliminating. <laughs> of relating to or being partially conceptual. But basically what it says is that um, it's about like not necessarily creating something completely tangible, but playing with it. Okay. And so, you know, conceptual art would be like the model of a house. Paraconceptual would be like related to a model of a house. Is this like Andy Warhol? It's very similar to Andy Warhol. Okay. Yeah. I think I understand. Yes. And actually, interesting that you say that is Tobias directly uses pieces of Andy Warhol's in one of his one of his pieces. So Tobias has this great piece. Uh, so everyone I think is familiar with the the screen print of Madonna or not Madonna of Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. Monroe. Mm-hmm. Thank you. They look similar. It's hard to tell. Um, (laughs) uh, the screen prints of Marilyn Monroe in multiple colors. So he and some friends did a gift wrapping service with those prints. So they're, you know, several thousand dollar prints and they would offer to wrap presents in the prints. So again, this toys with another one of the things that Tobias really liked to play with was what is, what creates value for something? So if, uh, nobody, quote unquote, nobody folds an Andy Warhol print in turns it into wrapping paper it could be worth less but if tobias wong who then becomes a famous artist has folded a screen print and turned it into wrapping paper then hypothetically its value could be more so even while he was alive he was playing with these ideas of like what who says what the value of something is do i get to determine that do you get to determine that do we wait until some art wank determines that a lot of it's just made up yeah okay yeah I think he, what I noticed a lot about the exhibition is he was, he was really looking into, yeah, who says? And Mm -hmm. um, so there's two kind of parts to the title. There's object, and we've talked about that a little bit, and the the idea of are we going to, um, how are we going to relate to these various objects? Mm -hmm. And the pills, um, he takes a lot of every day, and he makes them extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Um, And he also takes a lot of extraordinary things and, wrecks them or makes them every day um and that would be the objecting part and i think what we should do is we should take a brief break and we will talk about that when we get back okay okay sounds good the well-known pimp the narcotics king big time racketeer back in full force this could be one of the big moments in your life don't make it your last Look, this thing might be bigger than even we think it is. Do you need an upgrade to the soundtrack to your life? Perhaps a song from a film or a tune from TV? My name is Gap. Exploding Head Movies is here to give you sounds from the cinema, along with the songs that will be defining your future, and those forgotten classics that need a little rescue. Yeah. Come on, baby. Loading Headboots, Monday, 7.30 to 9 p.m. on CITR 11.9 FM, Vancouver.
it's not just rich people that own the media. But by leaving out the most important things you need to know, they can elevate awareness to a new all-time low. I own my media. 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 The Media Co-op is a grassroots national news network that's owned by its members. But if it's just left out, can you say the paper lied? A lot of things that happened didn't happen after all. If there's no one in the forest who will put it in the news, I guess the tree didn't fall. Join us today at mediacoop.ca slash join. I'm joining today. You should too. What it can be read as as a response to the climate of, of fear and paranoia that followed the event of 9-11 and how um, people responded individually and um, even designers, how are they to respond? What kind of objects are they producing um, um, after 9-11? So um, uh, Tobias uh, produced this piece um, and, and it, you know, it's supposed to be a beautiful, pretty object and um, that becomes a shield uh, to protect um, its owner. The event of 9-11 had a, a tremendous impact on, on Tobias Wong as a New Yorker. He uh, was there during the event. He lived in New York from 98 uh, to till his death. Ballistic Rose is not the only uh, piece that he did using this material. There's the And we are back. And what you were listening to briefly was uh, Vivian Goslin talking about the Ballistic Rose and this series of objects that Tobias Wong did out of Kevlar material following the uh, September 11th attacks. And mm -hmm. he has quite a number of pieces that were um, referencing that. Mm -hmm. But again, still with that um, kind of tongue-in-cheek and uh, irreverential kind of, mm -hmm. uh, and you and you had a question, Adam, for Amanda. Right, um, like I see a lot of sort of playfulness with with what he's doing, and I really like that. But I'm sort of wondering, is is, is this a guy with a message? Yeah, I think one of the things that is really interesting and falls in in that almost cheeky aspect of Tobias's work is his pieces all say something, but you wonder which side he was on sometimes. So mm -hmm. certainly with 9-11, we know what side, what side of the debate he was on. He was, he was responding to the building of a culture of fear. And so he did the, the ballistic rose and the bulletproof quilted duvet, both out of um, bulletproof materials, to talk about how there's, there was this need to protect yourself. And also to say, in, in light of, of these kinds of events, how do designers respond? And then you have other ones like the matchbooks, which are these amazing little matchbooks with cut out of the cityscape. And those ones are more of an, an homage to it. But at the same time, that same playfulness where the only two matches that are standing are ones that you could light. So this, again, this sort of messaging around, you know, how can you make something about 9-11 playful? And yet he, he could make you think and uh, just, 
uh, he I, mm-hmm. he's amazing. <laughs> one, one of my one of my uh, favorite and also like the kind of one of the ones that shows up a lot. I used a picture of it when we when we did a blog earlier today is the gun book. Yeah, and that is a combination of two things that I really liked, um, which was a. Uh, responding to the ideas of safety fear domesticity power like these are all in there but also so my understanding please correct me if i'm mm-hmm. wrong is that he there was a book published right after september 11th in a obviously book publishing takes a long time this was something that they were not prepared for yeah. and it was called i want to change the world and it was a design book yes so it's uh, a design book by kareem rashid a very well-known designer at I think primarily of furniture, you know, like a, like decorative um, arts, but yeah, uh, chairs and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like design, like you know how we would think of inform downtown. Great, great stuff, um, but not really in light of nine eleven. Not what's going to change the world. Mm-hmm. And so Tobias had a habit of playing with other designers and kind of going, "Hey, think about what you're doing." And so his response went to this was to take this book, which has. Uh, quite heavy stock and a cardboard like a hard it's hard bound and laser cut the gun out of it to say you know like you know really maybe uh, consider what you're talking about right now and uh and how grand how grandiose can you really get yeah i think the the pieces that were my favorites were all the ones in which he appropriated someone else's art yeah and that was a big part and destroyed it or made it better or just changed it a little bit yeah, and that was a big part of what he did. So he sort of worked by, uh, you could call it a rule of thirds. So if you take something and you change it by a third, then you can claim it as your own mm-hmm. and to a certain extent, right? So you saw this again with that, similar to the gun book, the, um, he has the protect me from what I want tattoo. So protect me from what I want is a phrase by a word artist named Jenny Holzer. He walked up to her in a party, said, hey, can you write that on my arm? And she did, and he walked out and got it tattooed on his arm. And then it was one of his pieces. Uh, similarly, he took a Philip Stark bubble chair mm-hmm. and put a lamp in it. And the day before that Philip's chair was set to launch, Tobias launched the chair as a lamp. And so again, called playing, like this is a lamp called this is a lamp. Yeah. It's got this great pull string. And then the whole thing lights up this bright yellow. It's, it's fantastic. It looks way better lit up too. And it's turned off. It's sort of this weird banana it's color. Impressive. Yeah. And, uh, so again, playing with that, who owns something, who says it's art, who, you know who gets to decide who tells me what my work is mm-hmm. and uh, yeah adam did you have any like favorite pieces or themes because um, we saw the exhibition on opening night so it's been a little bit of time so we've had some time to like ruminate mm-hmm. uh you know i liked everything um yeah i saw a whole bunch of stuff that made me think um stuff like that video installation about the the vase and the doorstop but probably the objects that most appealed to me were the stuff he did with sort of touching on drug culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really interested in that, books and stuff about that, but, you know, basically th- there's a lot of beauty in there, but it's it's not upscale type beauty. So to take, take the junkie, take things like the Coke spoons mm-hmm. and just sort of hide the glamour. I think uh, it, it plays with, with what drugs are in our, in our society. Yeah, he right. did a lot of that where he is taking uh, everyday objects and, you know, dipping them in gold or turning them luxurious. Yeah. Um, and, like, the Coke spoon is a Coke spoon, but it's also literally, like, it's a McDonald's spoon. It's, a, it's an old McDonald's stir stick. Mm-hmm. And the the lore is that they stopped making those stir sticks because, because. Tobias turned 
<laughs> turned them into. That's uh, so brought, or brought attention to the fact that they were being used that way. That, and another one that they use is a, a Bic pen cap, mm-hmm. also cast in gold. Right, right. And I think that's one of the things you were saying, like, where do his politics lie? So we've got this sort of theme of reappropriation, we've got this theme of 9-11 in the, in the exhibition, and then we have this theme of uh, affluence and wealth. So what makes something expensive and glamorous? Because Coke and, is a very 1980s, like, rich... Yeah. drug in, that's you know obviously having a, a big is a it's also a big party so it's like but luxury and like mm-hmm. decadence and you have there's a, a piece that you know every time i go in there i've been in there almost every yeah. every week for two months and i still find things that are interesting so he's got this one piece and they're just paper cups and you're like yeah whatever a paper cup but the design on it is set to look like expensive crystal mm-hmm. and so the idea is that you reconsider throwing it away and and again, talking about like why why would we value crystal over this other thing? Um, and another one that I really love are the he's got a set of rings and diamond objects. So he's got the killer ring, which is the diamond upside down, and he has two rings where the diamonds are set inside the band. So again, asking that question: if you can't see it, is it worth anything? Mm-hmm. So if you if you have a one thousand dollar diamond, but no one can see that you have a one thousand dollar diamond. Is it worth anything? Or are you just paying to make a show of something mm-hmm. for someone else? You know what I actually got out of that piece, and that was one of my favorites, was um the the idea of A, like blood diamonds and, and the, the the human cost of diamonds, mm-hmm. but also the other human cost, which is like the connection to like women wearing a diamond in order mm-hmm. to like display to the world that they're engaged. Right? Something only women do, women of us and it's something that's aspirational. So mm-hmm. like you you know your your fiance is supposed to spend you know a month's wages that's like how you that's like the ratio that you're supposed to use so that's kind of what i thought about when i, I didn't even really think about the if you can't see it because i just thought about yeah. wearing that ring yeah, you're thinking of the, like the killer ring yeah yeah that's great i uh, like how would you even deal with that and i think that's um one of the great things about the exhibition is that uh vivian and todd work to make it very accessible so it's not try to try to make it as least like art wanky as Mm -hmm. possible in a way and so each piece comes with a story told by a friend or family member or admirer of his giving context about why he made it where he was when he made it maybe phone calls that they had or exchanges that they had about the pieces and so you get such a like a great picture of him and how he worked and uh, it's got a bit of an not an immemorial aspect in a bad way but rather a you know a life celebration in a way um, Mm -hmm. with as you mentioned without kind of focusing too much on the fact that he's passed Mm -hmm. so that's um that's gratifying um adam did you have any other questions for amanda uh i was i was curious what your favorite piece was oh that's a good question it changes every week okay um the more i look into them i think this week my favorite is the uh bulletproof quilted duvet because so it's a duvet cover but it's got it's uh sewn in a pattern of a quilt so you get this idea of American home art, a very like cozy, traditional sort of aspect, and then this sort of new tradition of creating a culture of fear. And uh, I love the aspect of, of thinking of it as, like when you're a little kid, you hide under the blankets to hide from monsters. Yeah. And then now as an adult, you can hide from your new kind of monsters, which are terrorists with guns, and you can hide under it, and it's a, it'll save you because it's bulletproof. Nice. So clever. Yeah. I, um, I just wanted to, uh, to wrap up our evening today I wanted to read you something from and it's just from the uh, MOV website but uh, it's a quote from Tobias Wong 
I no longer worry about what title people give me. I'm happy being whatever fits the context. I don't draft or create models or prototypes. I don't problem solve, and I definitely don't make things to make life easier. So those words in context of a duvet or something that's bulletproof, like really underscores that he was not serious. Mm -hmm. um, because if you think that that will make your life earlier, you're just proving his point. <laughs> um, it's a, I'm just going to give you a heads up at w about what else is at the Museum of Vancouver, um, both with objecting and in general. So you, there's a couple more events that are um, uh, happening. There's a tour and then there's also the tattoo show. Can you tell us a little bit about briefly what's happening there? Sure. So the first Thursday of every month, we do a curator's talking tour. So next month, it's with Vivian Goslin, who you heard earlier. And uh, she's great, very clever. And uh, the other one is on December 8th, it's a Saturday, from noon until 5, we're doing a live tattooing spectacle. So uh, six or seven people who were selected from a previous event will come in and be live tattooed with Tobias-inspired imagery, um, sort of following his idea that if you really love design, you should just live with it forever, also talked about in the exhibition. And uh, people can come in, if you, if you bring a small plastic an old plastic toy you can bling it out with some gold leafing you can have a drink and so we're really encouraging people to like go out for brunch and kits and then come down and just spend a leisurely afternoon great excuse to come in so and those tattoos are actually done by chad at sanitary electric who is a uh community supporter of CITR. so i thought i'd give him a, a bit of a shout out there yeah. um it's uh, you were talking about at the at the top of the half hour the um why the MOV chose Tobias and like why it fits there and what's funny is that if you look at the other things that are uh, playing you have uh, you, you know the permanent exhibitions that go through the various uh, eras of Vancouver and then you also have neon Vancouver or ugly Vancouver and uh, when you're actually walking through Tobias's exhibit it really is uh, really fits well I think there was the fashion exhibit while that was there as yeah, well the opening night there was the art deco. Um, so yeah the art deco you're right so uh, there was uh, there's a real kind of feeling of this really opulence so, you know, once you're done with Tobias Wong, if you can ever truly be finished, uh, walk through the the neon uh, Vancouver, ugly Vancouver, as well as untold stories, history of immigrants. Objecting the art design of Tobias Wong is uh, going to be running until February 24th, 2013. Untold Stories, History of Immigrants in Vancouver is through January 6th. The events are on December uh, 2nd and December 8th. 8th uh for the um tattooing and the for the tour and then the tattooing and uh we are all done for the evening thank you so much amanda amanda and adam for You're coming welcome. in thank you um it was lovely to talk to you and please check out that there are um so a great article by janet smith uh, about tobias wong as a uh provocateur uh, in the georgia strait online they also sponsored the event so you know no bias um but um so you can check that out on georgiastrait.com and uh thank you so much for joining us for the arts report every wednesday from 5 p.m to 6 p.m next week on wednesday all day it is the uh 12 hour student power marathon which we will be participating in with some student contributions and patrick sampler and ubc arts on air please stick around uh after 
we finish up today because we will be doing a investigation into progress labs and obstructions we'll talk to pie theater theater conspiracy the only animal um three theater companies who are participating in progress lab uh, and a series they're calling obstructions making it uh, a little bit harder for these very talented companies um, but getting even more creative in the process please find us on twitter at twitter.com slash the it arts report and facebook dot com slash arts report and that's where you can find our bonus content good night Yeah.